Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope you're all doing well right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. How are we all? We are all well. Stewie's here as usual, third. But I do think one week I am going to be second. That's that's going to be my aim for next year. You're just going to jump in there. Yeah, do it, yeah. Hostile takeover of the intro. <laughs> I like it. Start fighting each other. We'll have to do it when we're actually in a room together when we can finally... Actually, see face well, to be, face. We, 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 we could do that now. True. <laughs> we could they do. We, we could do that for months, but we just can't be asked. It's just easier when you've got Zencaster and stuff running, <laughs> isn't it, to let that do all the uh, the heavy lifting for you? So we're here to see a film called Seeking Justice. I've got to be honest. Up until the announcement of doing this film, I'd never heard of it. This is a brand new one on me. Did either of you two know anything of this film beforehand? Not a sausage. This is, as you are both fully aware, the most difficult film that I've had to source, <laughs> um, including multiple um, different varieties of media trying to be used to obtain it. Um, no, never heard of it. And I don't think the rest of the human race has either, by the sounds of things. It's a buried in the digital... Well... Say archives, because but it's some, it's even worse than that. It's like it's it's on it's on microfiche somewhere. It's <laughs> it's so impossible to find. Yet it's as we'll find it very good. I'll be interested to know if your mate Dean has seen this because he seems to have seen every other Nick Cage film. So if anyone else is going to have seen it, I imagine Dean might be the one to uh, to have sourced it, maybe. But yeah, Dean, let us know if you've actually seen this one. I'd, I'd be quite interested in your thoughts because. It's very much hidden to the sands of time, but for a film that's only ten years old as well, like it, I don't understand how it's so so well hidden for such a relatively new film. It'd like be it easy. was from the mid nineties, fine, but yeah, mm, weird. It'd be easier for me to get on the dark web and find a snuff film, but it was for me to find <laughs> for me to find this. It's it's almost like the same kind of like trespass as well. Yeah, that was that mm. was hard to find. Similar kind yeah. of era, and obviously mm. there was reasons for that. But <laughs> it's the dark times of Nick Cage's career, I think, is the reason why. Um, but yeah, I mean, this film—it's actually got quite a decent cast. So obviously, of course, we've got Nick. You've also got January Jones, who is someone I know mostly from Mad Men, but she was also in X Men First Class, was it, where she played the Ice Queen, Emma Frost. She was also in a series called Last Man on Earth, which was absolutely wonderful and got cancelled before its time. Do either of you two know much about January Jones mm, other particular. than this film? No. Only from X-Men and being on the, on the boat. <laughs> when mm. I, I saw the name, I thought, yeah, I remember now. Yeah. Obviously, we've also got Guy Pierce, someone who we all know because he's an absolute legend in the field. One thing I will say before we get into this, I hope he never goes bald because he's not a good-looking man with a bald head. It does not suit him at all. And we've also got Harold Perrineau, who was in one of Matt's favourite TV shows, Lost. Yes, he was. 
and it was all I wanted him to say in this was go <laughs> was go what was the name what the hell was the name of his son it was something Walt. he had like a, well Walt. that was it he had like a really old person's name Walt Walt <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so, I mean I had middling hopes because the cast looked decent but it was a film that is quite well hidden it like the poster of this film is the most direct <laughs> dvd looking <clears throat> poster i have ever seen and then when i looked at the name of the director roger donaldson i got me I, I had no idea who that man was i've never heard that name before but when i looked in his filmography he did cocktail cadillac man species dante's peak and the recruit so he's done a few films that i've heard of and I think I might have seen maybe one or two of those movies, but he's not someone whose work I'm familiar with in the slightest. That surprised me, that is, because I've seen all of them and I like all of them. Uh, I've seen Species, because I think everyone's seen Species, or every male has seen Species. <laughs> that, that that video was broken at one particular <laughs> place. <laughs> Louisiana. Yeah. Of course it was, of course it was. Right, so this film is described on IMDb as after his wife is assaulted, a husband enlists the services of a vigilante group to help him settle the score. Then he discovers they want a favour from him in return. Happy anniversary. It's Several deep lacerations, internal bleeding. Sorry to hear about your wife. She okay? The man's done it before. We'll do it again. We can take care of him for you. Who are you? I represent an organization that loves this city. We're tired of watching it go to hell. I really don't know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. This wouldn't cost you anything financially, but we may ask a favor of you at some point in the future. He will. What do you want? Just a quick talk. Relax. Where'd you go? You okay? We just need you to do one thing. Nobody said anything in the agreement about killing anybody. So get the hell out of my life. You should go to the cops. You tell them everything. Some of them are cops. When it's done, you call me. A promise is a promise, Will. You have no idea what this guy is capable of. Where have you been? That I heard you walking around. Sir, we have a warrant for your arrest for murder. The film begins with a man being asked, what does the hungry rabbit jumps mean? And then that man gets in his car and gets rammed off the the top of a multi-storey car park, falling immediately to his death. It then cuts straight to some loving moments between Cage and his wife, January Jones. We see January Jones then gets attacked and raped. Cage visits his wife in the hospital and says, can you all give me a moment with my wife? In the most <laughs> shaky voice, bollocks. Like, the acting in that scene was fucking yeah. atrocious. It was really bad. No, it, we, we, it don't, me we don't actually do it, but can we somehow clip it and insert that little soundbite? Because it's so awful. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll see what I could do. Y'all give me a moment with my wife, please. Mm-hmm. I I honestly thought, though, because the acting was that bad, that they've superimposed 
a tear running down his face because he couldn't have like he couldn't have brought himself to cry in that and be serious about it. No, no definitely not. No, like we're meant to believe that January Jones has been brutally assaulted in this point, and like they say that she's got deep lacerations, but she's just got a black eye and like a bruise on her cheek and her knuckles are bloodied. Like, the makeup was really bad. I've seen better stuff on fucking Casualty, to be perfectly honest. And, like, for someone that's been through, you know, she's fucking hooked up and everything, he, like, grabs her by the side of the head. As if, like... <laughs> like I was like, come on. If she, you know, she's meant to be, like, on death's door. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was very difficult to believe what we've supposed to have happened here, mm. but... Mm. Uh, whilst in the waiting room, Cage is appro- approached by Guy Pearce. Guy Pierce offers Cage the chance to get vengeance on the attacker. Whoever Pierce works for knows the rapist was, and they can, quote-unquote, take care of him. In exchange for a favour, which they he will have to repay in the future. Cage initially turns down this offer, but remembering how his wife looked in her terrible makeup, he changes his mind. <laughs> Guy Pierce tells Cage, if you decide to go ahead with it, Go to the vending machine and buy two forever bars, which he does. God, could I just say, I laughed my head off. I don't know why I snorted and I proper giggled when they said forever bars. I don't know if that's an actual American bar. And if it is, then well, I don't know why I found it so funny. I had to Google it because I've, I've never heard of this. So, uh, yeah, I did a bit of a Googling to find out what a forever bar is. Uh, the one I found on Googling contains the world's rarest cocoa. Uh, so precious that the trees are guarded by militia. Originally from, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if this is the same bar, but it was originally from Parts Unknown, which is the same place as uh, where Ultimate Warrior was born. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we're 20 minutes into the film. Stu, what are you thinking? Intrigued. It wasn't, hmm. it wasn't. When you, you see this, this title of Seeking Justice, and you think, well, We've already seen death, death, bad acting, bad makeup, tension. But there's something there. Mm. I like Guy Pierce. I mean, I like Guy Pierce in pretty much everything. And it's, he's got this. Uh, he's always got this kind of smarminess about him. Just yeah. without even without even having to say anything, he's just got that look on his face. But a shaved Guy Pierce, very evil. Yeah, he does. He does bring uh, guns with it, doesn't he? Uh, I thought I, I quite liked Jones and Cage together. Like they genuinely came across as quite a fun-loving, sweet couple. And then it all goes a little bit off the rails. Not bad, but it it's the kind of crazy Cage madness that we want to see in a film. Mm. Um, it did give the air of a, a straight to DVD bollocks from two thousand and one. But like, I'm totally all for it in this. But they, Matt, what were you thinking? Oh, you said they, they do oh, look like a genuine couple, though. That's the, one of the good things about it. At the, at the, and the whole film, they do look like a genuine couple. It is believable, yeah. It, it's not like like when we saw um, Wally's Wind, Willy's Wonderland, and I thought that they was going to pair up Cage with that kid, and it's like the age disparity was too much. This looks plausible, if nothing else. Matt, I, um... about yourself. Well, my notes, high praise indeed, because I just put, can't say I'm bored, <laughs> which, is, which is pretty much how, how I felt about it, to be fair, I thought it's got, it's got something about it, to think, you know, it's a bit paint by numbers though, in the, mm. 
you know, we've all seen The Godfather. We know what a favour means. It's not going to be again quite what they see. You know, it's, it's never going to be quite what they see. And something that I'll talk about later on, the, um, is it the wherewithal, really, or the complete lack of common sense by some of the characters in this film to actually what is happens in real life? I just find bizarre. Also, mm. the quickest game of chess in human history takes place between Nick Cage and his pal who like beats him in like five minutes as if like Nick Cage has never played chess in his entire <laughs> life. He's meant to be this like professor who's mm. like incredibly intelligent and then just gets his ass kicked. It was like when I went to the, my mum took me to the Clarendon when I was like 10 years old to play chess. I had to play against this like 50 year old bloke and he just wiped the floor with me in about 10 moves. Ridiculous. I feel like there's um, yeah. podcast confessions coming out on this. There's more to this. <laughs> was you um, was you then sold into slavery or something? Yeah, this is this this. I, I work. I was in that cellar of the Clarendon for four scores. No, it was uh, it was it was uh, it was going through a phase where I kind of I went to every kind of after school activity there was going in the world. Okay, um, I was just like I was just shoehorned into like loads of different things that I never really stuck with and chess was one of them what are the um why do you have to hit the little timer for what is the point of that i've never understood it well i think it's just a case that chess isn't the most exciting sport to begin with is it really i think it's to like speed speed the game along i think whereas you could just be there all day but okay i didn't actually my, know that either no it, be my like, presumption. it looks like they've got their own individual timers and it's like okay well if if we end, it's like Monopoly where you get a certain amount of time left, and that you think, well, okay, you've got more money, we'll just call it a day, kind of thing. Well, it's it... to put to put pressure on the opposition, isn't it? As well, like to for to force a move, and then they've got to make a mistake. Maybe. I don't you're, know. You're, no the, you're the chess prodigy now. <laughs> like it's, it's not the fucking king's gambit. <laughs> so we see some big sweaty dude entering a building and kills the rapist. This dude does not seem like he was a professional hitman at all. He just looked like he was some rando schlub. I get the feeling that Guy Pearce's organisation might not be quite as professional as he uh, let on when he was talking to Cage. January Jones decides that she wants new locks on her doors and windows. A gun, pepper spray, anything and everything that could keep her safe. On date night, Cage gets a call from Guy Pearce. He gives Cage some orders to walk through a shop, into the back, through this back door, and into this massive Humvee. Honestly, I thought Pierce was going to make Cage blow him at one point. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck's going on here? It looked like it was some kind of big Hollywood exec in this car. It was a bit strange. But rather than making him blow him, he gives him a letter <laughs> to Santa Claus and says, you need to post this at this post box by the zoo at 4.15 tomorrow. Before Cage is able to complete his mission, he gets a call. Pierce tells him to open the letter. Guy Pierce is very lucky because if I was given this all-important task to do to get rid of this favour that I owe, I would make sure I got that task done. Hmm. If someone calls me and I know I've got to post this, I'm like, I'm going to post that, then I'll answer the call. So he's a very lucky man that Cage didn't post that because he wouldn't have been able to have a look inside. That is such a plot hole. I did mm. think that. Um, oh well, I, I'll talk. I'm going to talk about it later. But again, common sense here, lacking very much. So, I mean, 
I always talk about how in films, like I always feel like we never get a full and frank debrief about what it's like to take a life. But Nick Cage is coping with it very well up to this point. The fact that he's instrumental in having someone whacked. Yeah, I mean, he's out playing pool and stuff. He gives zero shit. Mm. Yeah. Pretty unlikable guy. Hmm. Inside the envelope was a picture of a child, a man and a woman. Cage was given instructions to follow the woman and child if they turn up at the zoo. And when the man turns up, he needs to call and say, the hungry rabbit jumps. The man doesn't turn up, so Cage just goes on about his life as normal. Only for Pierce to then tell him that he's only halfway through his task. Cage is then given another envelope with a necklace, more pictures of children and the same man, with a notification that the guy is a sex offender. Pierce gives Cage more instructions. He tells him that he needs to push the man to his death and make it look like suicide. Cage decides against killing the nonce. So when Pierce confronts Cage, Cage tells him to piss off. He's not doing it. That night, whilst at dinner with January Jones, Guy Pierce comes over and introduces himself, pretending to be an old friend of Nick Cage's from teaching college. Pierce gives Cage his card and tells him to call him. Why in this scenario, whenever this happens in a film, any film, not just this film, the wife or spouse are always massively oblivious to the really obvious (laughs) skullduggery that's going on? They're always like, oh, this person's so charming. Oh, they're so nice. They're so yeah. they're wonderful, this person. He's come and have a drink with us. When it's clearly yeah, like, when it's clearly like they're clearly a wrong gun. Yeah, they're, they're supposed to have been friends since college days, and <laughs> this is all brand new to her, even though they've been together for some time and are married. And yeah, it doesn't make sense, does it? You'd think you'd have at least once mentioned this dude he knew. It does kind of make me think a bit like if I turned up at your house, Matt, and you weren't there. What, what, what your wife would actually say? Since she's, mm. she's never met me once in two years, and I've, I've been leaving like beer on your on your bumper. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to put context to that, Stu? Because that does not save us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had something big and black left on my um, on my rear um, <laughs> when I came back from work one day. Put it that way. Yeah, it was. When you have to, when you're delivering beer to a friend, I mean, it's we ain't sponsored by Beer Fifty Two yet. I mean, they can always get in touch. Um, <laughs> it's only a matter of time. <laughs> and you, you see a, a, a one-legged drunken tramp the other side the road. The other side <laughs> the road. You have to kind of strategically hide these things so that he doesn't get it. But then he was he was singing to himself, and apparently it's a, a common thing. So, oh, he's a he's quite the celebrity of this street. <laughs> he is. He's always he's always like sing, like going around keeping me up at night with his acapella. So singing tramps. It sounds like something out of fucking Narnia, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> One legged tramps. <laughs> yeah, that, that you need to make that um make that decision. After weirding Cage out, Cage then decides that he's gonna front the di- confront the diddler. On an underpass. <laughs> the <laughs> The pedo fights back and he ends up getting thrown off the underpass onto a car below. Pierce calls Cage to say his work is over. Rattled, Cage punches one of his students and gets suspended. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just I really laughed at that scene. He just fucking clocks that little bastard. And it was it was actually quite satisfying because that kid was a shitbag. He went for him first anyway. I don't know why no one thought it was self-defence. Yeah, very true. Very true. <clears throat> 
back at home, January Jones is getting a flat tire repaired. When she goes looking for the lug nut, she finds the necklace from one of the envelopes that Cage was given earlier in the car. So obviously she's going to be assuming a fair. Cage gets arrested for murder. The cameras catch Cage and the dead man entering the underpass and only Cage leave him. The camera in the underpass had no tape in it, so the cops don't know what happened. They did, however, find the dead man's phone, and on that phone was a video of Cage from that day at the zoo. Mate, it's interesting this, from line of duty and things like that. The fact that there's no evidence of him throwing him off, to me, is a plus. Because there's no not, evidence yeah, he was actually, it was no evidence that he actually committed the crime. It's all circumstantial, and it's not beyond reasonable doubt. But mm-hmm. he did it. So if I was Cage, I'd be fucking chilling. I'd be like, "Yeah, you yeah. got nothing." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's here and not there, though. It's beyond reasonable but, doubt in America, though, isn't it? Something like that. I mean, and also you are innocent until proven guilty. They've got nothing to charge him with at this point. Mm. Plot hole city. Yeah, huge. The cops ask if the dead man was going to write something exposing Cage, as the dead man was an investigative journalist and not a pedo, as he was led to believe. The police lieutenant interrogates Cage and asks him some seemingly random questions, ending with the hungry rabbit jumps. When the lieutenant realises that Cage is involved in all of that, he lets him go and tells him to run. If they catch him, he won't make it through the night and they'll make it look like suicide. Cage heads to the school library where he works to research the dead man. He sees an article pointing him to some Irish pub for the wake. Uh, Cage goes to see January Jones explaining what's happened and tells her to head to a hotel and await further news. If you were his wife and he comes to you and tells you this whole fanciful story, would you be inclined to believe him or would you think he has completely lost his marbles? (laughs) Because it is the most batshit fucking tale you could ever imagine without any evidence to back it up the way he'd been acting as well you you she's got to be questioning what what he's doing i mean he's got mm. her he's got her necklace from when she was raped and not really answered the, not asked him about that and then he comes out with all these bollocks he's been suspended from school for punching a kid and it, it's it's like he's gone completely insane that mm. so you would you i don't know surely you would question him yeah. But yeah. all of that is like negated when she goes, if I was in your position, I'd do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so like, that whole like thing just like blown wide open. Yeah. Oh, silly pointless, the whole thing. Cage attends the pub where they're holding the wake for the dead man. Cage steals the dead man's pass and asks some of his old workmates about a group of clandestine people who are seeking justice. His journal mates tell him that he's been talking about this for ages. Pierce and his goons arrive. They try to grab Cage, but he manages to get away. He jumps off a highway overpass and then across motorway lanes. I was genuinely a little bit like my heart was racing in parts of that. I thought they were quite well done, to be honest. Apart from right at the end when that truck sort of skids and almost jackknifes. And that's the worst looking CGI. <laughs> like, this is 2011, not 1993. It looked really bad, that did. Using the past that he stole from the dead man, Cage heads to the newspaper where he worked to try and find some evidence to exonerate himself. This leads him to finding a DVD. 
it's a video of the man from the very start of the movie, the man who's pushed off the car park. He's been interviewed by the journalist about this clandestine organisation, which Guy Pearce is running. Cage realises that the dead journalist was there trying to expose Pearce, and that's why they wanted him dead, not because he was a kiddie fiddler. On this DVD, he also sees a picture of Guy Pearce with the headmaster at his school, played by Harold Perrineau. Cage goes to confront Perrineau, who explains that he has been part of this organisation for 15 years and that he tried to get Pierce to let Cage go. Cage threatens to kill him unless he gives him Guy Pierce's real name. Now armed with the journo's DVD, Cage offers to exchange this DVD with the evidence Pierce has, which proves that Cage didn't murder. And he also arranges to meet up at a Munster truck rally. I don't <laughs> know why, but of all the fucking places to meet up, that just seemed the most batshit that they could have picked. It looked really good, though. And I've always wanted to go to one of them things. So did you ever get to the one they did at West Park a few years ago? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they even did one. Yeah. It was like a proper monster truck. It obviously didn't have like, buses and stuff or mounds of earth. But they had like ramps and things, and it was jumping over like, smashed up cars. It was really good. It's free as well. I've I've never the only one I've ever seen was when WCW did one between Hulk Hogan and the Giant. I was just about to say that <laughs> <laughs> that's the only one I know of. Yeah, wrestling in the nineties for your kids. True story that relates to monster trucks. My dad was chased down the street by an elephant that got loose from Dunstall Circus. What, in a monster <laughs> truck? Not in a monster truck. No, <laughs> they're they're similar. They're similar worlds, aren't they? That that's. Incredible. Like, what? How did he get away? <laughs> Actually, the elephant escaped mm. from the circus and ended up running up Carter Road, which was the first street that I'd lived on. And my dad was... I'm not saying this, the elephant was chasing him, but he was definitely running, running out the way of it. Yeah. Fucking hell. Mm. Incredible. And you spent months mocking me about pelican escapes, and then you, your dad's <laughs> been chased by a fucking elephant. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen... Um, I, I, I know where that elephant came from. So do we. It came from, it came from Dudley. Listen, I keep my cards close to my chest. <laughs> Before the trade happens, Pierce tells Cage that Perrineau has kidnapped January Jones. Cage goes with Pierce to get Jones back. Perrineau and the goons holding her captive. Uh, but then Perrineau changes his mind and starts shooting at the other bad guys. It seemed very apropos of nothing. Like, we had the heel turn because he was friends with Cage, then he was the mm. bad guy, and now we've had the face turn. He's only really been in this film five minutes, and he's flip-flopped more than the big show ever did. It doesn't <laughs> make sense. Like, I, mm, like, there's quite a few issues in this, but this was a big one from me. It didn't, I don't know, it really took me out of it, this flip-flop, you know, it was weird. This whole Masonic organization, levels, splinter cells, the lot, was just really, really poorly done. Mm. In that, you know, the guy it, like, he's going to let you go, they're going to kill you, but then he's the lieutenant and everything else. Like, it's just, it's just, I just didn't enjoy it. Didn't enjoy that bit of it at all. Yeah, like, if, if you've got this organization that are running the city, 
you expect them to know their shit and be in every mm. corner of it. But that kind of felt like if us three just decided that we were going to start running things around here, <laughs> it was very odd. Like it, it, yeah, it wasn't stone masons. It was more stone cutters from the Simpsons, <laughs> wasn't it? it? It was a bit of a shambles. So there's a scuffle between Nick Cage and Guy Pearce. And just as it appears that Guy Pearce has got Nick Cage dead to rights, January Jones shoots him dead. The lieutenant from the start of the film, who knows about the hungry rabbit, he turns up just in the nick of time and tells them that he'll make up some bullshit and cover for them. Cage uses the evidence to exonerate himself and he returns the DVD to one of the journalist's colleagues who thanks him and then says to Cage, the hungry rabbit jumps, eh? Film's ended there. That end, that... that I say twist, like it's not really a twist. It's a journalist we've met for 30 seconds at someone else's wake, also being part of this organisation. It sort of came out of nowhere, made no impact. It was mm. utterly pointless, wasn't it? it they, they kind of went down, the, the whole group in general, the kind of court of owls route. Mm. City needs, the city needs reborn. You know what I mean? That It was just a bit... Eh. It wasn't mm. done very well. And it wasn't quite like a deuce ex machina when, when she shoots him, but it was yeah. as close as it gets. Yeah. You know, yeah, if they hadn't put that limit. if they hadn't put that scene in where she had one scene where she went to a firing range mm. that had been tables yeah. being flipped in the Gillard household. Yeah, it was very uh, <laughs> it was very original Johnson and Die Hardwari. Mm, it really was. But the um can we actually give the lieutenant his real name of Xander Berkeley from season one and two of twenty four? Of course, yes, of course. He, he does deserve some respect for his uh, his history. So the budget on this bad boy was a very healthy $31 million. Ooh. I have no idea where that money was spent. I mean, it's, it's got to have been on the cast because there was, there was fuck all else to spend that money on. It CGI looked like truck. it was shot in a studio. Yeah, she, it was in a studio and a CGI truck, and that's where all the money's gone because, yeah, atrocious. So it opened on the 16th of March, 2012 in the States. It is a 2011 film in the rest of the world. It was released in October. Strange. Uh, but it got less than $250,000 on its opening weekend in the States. Worldwide, it didn't even make half of its money back. It got $14 million. Ooh. Yeah. So now that we've watched Seeking Justice... Ghost Rider 2, Trespass, and Drive Angry. We've done four of the five films that Cage did in 2011. The only one we've got left is Season of the Witch. I think that we can say that from the beginning of this time period is where Cage's work starts to get a little bit more hidden from the mainstream. Mm. It's not really hitting the cinemas, and if it is, it's out of the cinemas as quick as it's getting in there. Uh, prior to Season of the Witch, Cage was in The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Kick-Ass, Bad Lieutenant. After 2011, he then did Stolen, Frozen Ground, Joe, Rage, Outcast. Like, stop me if you've heard of any of these films before. <laughs> so, 2010, he's doing solid work. 2011, he's on the banana skin there. He has fallen on his arse, and it's all downhill. Has anything happened... Scandal-wise, in that time, what what causes such a dramatic? I tried to look because I, I wondered maybe it's a divorce and there's like high alimony or something, but I haven't been able to see anything around that time frame because I know he did have some bankruptcies, but I think they were before that. 
or maybe even after it. Like, there's nothing 2011-ish that really points to why it went to shit. Mm. And people, like, there are still named directors who want him in their work, as we've seen with other films we've done. It just seems to be picking the wrong ones. Mm. So before I give you the scores, I want you to tell me what you think they're going to be, either out of 10 or out of 100, whatever you want. Matt? Hmm. Hmm. I think the context of the film won't do it any favours because it's in this lull period of his career. So by by default, people are going to put their nose up at it. Five, five out of ten. Hmm. Stu, what do you think? The audience... I think they'll be they'll be kinder than that. I think audience round about six and a half, seven. I think critics will be four or five. Hmm. So on IMDb, it is a six point two. The Metacritic is a thirty eight. The Rotten Tomatoes audience is a thirty nine, and their critical is a twenty eight. So it's kind of middling for the audience, but the critics have really kind of ripped it apart. Um, which I'm not massively surprised that, to be perfectly honest. So, looking at... We'll do the fan response first. Um, So, Amazon.com, it holds a 4.2 out of 5 here, with 78% of the reviewers giving it either a 4 or a 5-star review. Uh, Number one movie fan said, The plot alone was enough to grab my attention. And the fact that it starred Nicolas Cage was also more than enough for me. Over the years, I've always been a fan of Nicolas Cage, but he did not usually do the sort of films that I liked. (laughs) Anyway, this is a terrific thriller. And although it might not be up there with the likes of more famous thrillers of its kind, it's a great thrill ride and delivers on all counts. Nicolas Cage, by the way, is brilliant. It won't let you down. I love that he's been a Nick Cage fan for years but he doesn't usually do the sort of films that he likes. How does that make sense? How can you be a fan of someone, but think their films are shit? (laughs) Surely it's either one or the other, isn't it? Well, we've done this podcast for a year, so... (laughs) (laughs) True. And I suppose when it comes to Amazon.com, that's kind of standard, isn't it, for some of the uh, the nonsense that they usually come out with. They are quite horrendous. Uh, A customer from the UK said it shows how a man will protect his wife when she has been raped and the wife protects him after he wants justice for it. Absolutely fantastic (laughs) acting by both Nick Cage and January Jones. They're both suited to the part they played. I don't know why, but they just really fucking tickled me. Septimus Blake said, a fan of Nicolas Cage and this did not disappoint. Action-packed and a really good twist at the end. Not everyone's cup of tea, but I enjoyed it and thought the storyline was quite solid in this day and age. It's not quite the sixth <laughs> sense, is it? It's not. Like, I genuinely don't know what the twist is. Is the twist Harold Perry knew? Because mm, must be. we don't know anything about that character before and then find out he's a bad guy. So that's not really a twist. That's just discovering the character. It's not like he was a good guy all throughout and then was a bad guy. He was a nothing all throughout and then just appeared. And then he flip-flops back anyway. Yeah, it's it's either that or the the rabbit jumps thing at the end when he's going up the escalator. He's um, his journalist friend. But hey, is that a twist? You could see that coming anyway. 
And it was like irrelevant. Like it was literally the last line of the film, so it made no impact. Yeah. So the critics obviously were a lot harsher on this film, but there was a good one from Debbie Lynn Elias from Behind the Lens. In Seeking Justice, Cage is in an unfamiliar territory as a bookish Will Gerard, which lends itself well to Cage delivering one of his best performances in some time. That was a review in 2019, so this is one of his best performances in some time. Like, I don't know how they've got to that one. <laughs> Peter Rayner from the Christian Science Monitor says... <laughs> a, oh, here we a, go. I know, yeah. A dum-dum variant on the Death Wish vigilante justice genre which I think is basically what it is. Brian Tallarico from Hollywood, Chicago. The only thing you'll be wondering during this inert alleged thriller is where it all went wrong. And we've got Donald Clark from the Irish Times and Nicolas Cage, you donkey-faced old ham. When (laughs) did you finally give up on acting and abandon yourself totally to self-parody? One out of five. Wow. Mm, yeah, he was not a fan. So, Stu, tell us your good, bad, and crazy, please. It was enjoyable. I enjoyed it. I was really, <laughs> although it's really, it's not very really good. Um, but it, there was enough kind of twists. I say twists and turns because everything was kind of signposted, and you knew what was going to happen, really. But it, it was strangely enjoyable, and I don't mm. really know why. Because the acting wasn't very good. I mean, that's going on to the bad because the acting was pretty. It was it was almost like D list nonsense. The, I mean, it was like a made for TV Channel Five film, but with um, a decent cast. Yeah, they are named actors. Yeah. Oh, you'd see something like this. If this was a Christmas, it'd be on Lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. And but again, that's not a bad thing. Mm. But with it's really really odd. Well, the, the bad is that the performances were shit all all over, <laughs> but it was really weirdly entertaining. I just don't know why. <laughs> and I mean, crazy was well, crazy. Just the the plot holes that we've already talked about. Mm. That none of it really made any sense. Um, the fact that she wasn't bothered by her own necklace <laughs> from a rapist being in her husband's car just br- brushed over. <laughs> Um, yeah. The fact that he was a, t- a kind of mild mannered teacher, and then he's turning to <laughs> Statham and jumping all over the place <laughs> didn't really make any sense. But it didn't really matter because <laughs> <laughs> it was enjoyable. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, Matt, what about you? So the good for me for um, for everything that went on with it, I actually think it was paced really well i it was only really until he was calling the shots and he was like go to the monster truck rally go buy a hot dog go take a leak that i was i was starting to wane a little bit and for what is what is it an hour 45 is it this yeah um yeah. i think for a film of that length to to, to to only really start to get bored around then for the quality that's being shown to us i think it's testament to how it was quite well paced i think you know, it drip fed what you needed. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't bored throughout it. As about as high a praise I can give it, really. Um, the bad, uh, how unsufferable the journalists are at the wake. <laughs> I really don't <laughs> like that pricks, kind yeah. of that, that kind of people. 
Reminded me of that episode of The Inbetweeners when they go to um, Simon's girlfriend's halls of residence and it's like <clears throat> all the older blokes that are drinking and they're all doing these drinking games and it's like, ah, oh, two fingers, ah, oh, it's like proper lads, 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 but in like these Americans and, oh, shit, they were just really, they really like wound me up and I don't know why. <laughs> um, but yeah, crazy. Again, it was, it was my, it was plot hole o'clock. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a, a consistent or very good liar, but I'm certainly a better liar than Nick Cage in this film. <laughs> so, point number one, even if they'd have gone into town more about why has he got the necklace, well, he was aware of that person being dead. He was aware of the rapist being dead, so he could have been like, they recovered the necklace, I collected the necklace, and what? Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's silly little things like that, and the whole film... At the point where Nick Cage is told to do the favour to begin with, he could have just... He doesn't know at this point that the organisation are within the police. He could have just gone to the police. He's not committed a crime up to this point. He hasn't killed the bloke. Mm-hmm. He hasn't done anything. He's not in bed with these people at all. He's done nothing wrong. He could have gone to the police and the film would have been over there and then. And he just gets dragged out because of this idiot man's stupidity. <laughs> it's just like, for this person who we're meant to believe is intelligent and uh, and he's not. He's just not at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> My good. It was nice to see January Jones do something else. So like, I know I mentioned earlier the, the few things that I know her from. She's always played an Ice Queen type character. Obviously, Emma Frost is the Ice Queen. Uh, when she was in Mad Men, her character was a very downtrodden wife whose husband cheats on her and everything. So she's very, she has a tough life and there's not a lot of variation. She's superb and it, don't get me wrong, but there's not much to it. And then the same in Last Man on Earth. She's a character who has, um, I think she's bipolar, if I remember correctly, and she spends a lot of the time on medication. So her performances, again, tends to be quite one note. So I thought this is quite nice to have a bit of a, an emotional spectrum for her here. I, mm. I quite enjoyed that. Um I thought she was probably the highlight of the acting in this film, even though she wasn't in it a massive amount, personally. Um, bad, yeah, I've got plotting. I wasn't as big a fan of the pacing myself. I felt that they spend over half of the film like trying to get to the point where the bad guys are chasing Cage. I felt that was a little bit too long. Mm. And then within half an hour, he's got the evidence to free himself. And then the, the final 15 minutes, just everything comes together. Like we get the heel turn of Perrineau, the kidnapping, the face turn, everyone dies. It's all just a little bit too rapid fire towards the end. I did think we got a good opener. I thought that the, the stuff between Cage and Jones when they were this young married couple pre-rape and everything went to, to shit. Uh, but it was just the second, like the 70 minutes towards the end, it just felt a little bit rushed when I think they could have taken the time. i I think they could have balanced it out a little bit better, I think is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I felt a little bit drained by the end of it all. And for the crazy, after watching 35 Nick Cage films, <laughs> I've got nothing crazy to say about this film. This is the most run-of-the-mill film that we have seen. On the pH scale from Left Behind being pH 0 and The Rock being pH 14, Seeking Justice is the most pH 7 we have done. <laughs> It's just like bang in the middle. It is mm. it is water. It is H2O, this movie is. But there's just nothing there. So I'm going to come to you for the next one, Stu, because I know what you're going to say. Did you enjoy the film? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, for, not for 
it being a good film and like you've said there's there's a lot of <laughs> you can criticize it to high heaven but I did enjoy it and it, it's kind of been a, a theme of these I mean, not so much with trespass but um <laughs> these these dower time films where I know when we've talked about things on the um on the other podcast uh, wolfancast.com um where we said, oh, can Nick Cage be in this film? And we've got it on, on Cage episode as well. Anyone could have played this, this role that he was in today in this film. Mm. Anyone? Yeah, absolutely. Pete Postlethwaite could have done it. And there would have been no difference. Mm. So, but that didn't, doesn't mean to say that it's not, it, I didn't enjoy myself because I really did. don't know why, but I did. <laughs> did you enjoy yourself, Matt? Was there something uh, about you going? Yeah, I enjoyed it. In the same way that I enjoy cleaning my ears with a cotton bud. <laughs> like, th- th- there's odd bits of pleasure involved for some strange reason. Um, yeah. but, at the, but at the end of it, it feels like it was more of a necessity than something I would do out of choice. <laughs> have you ever used um, Have you ever used a, a Bic lid instead of a cotton bud? A Bic lid? No. Yeah. No, no, I haven't. Like, off a pen? Yeah. Yeah, no. Tree? Because it's got a natural scoop, so you can get like proper in there. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, but the, surely there's more of a risk of uh, perforation of the. Yeah, well, obviously, you, you ain't gonna you ain't gonna whack off in the. <laughs> 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 obviously, you're not gonna you're not gonna stick it all the way in. I mean, you're just gonna like massage around the outside. Um, but yeah, you got to be careful. But you get more out. It works. Try. Um, no, <laughs> I don't think I will. I've always wanted though to have one of those uh, ear candles. Do you know what I mean? They're meant to be like amazing. You oh yeah, them, where, yeah, where they burn it, that and it burns all this. Yeah, because it, it's them and the um, the things that you go know, the doctors eat when they, they put the syringe in, and you can suddenly hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I think those candles are supposed to be pseudoscience, though. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure I've read reports that it's not quite. Like when it burn, when it melts, it isn't actually wax coming out. It's just not earwax. It's just the wax of the oh. the candle. I don't know where. I don't know how we've got to this. But where <laughs> are you with colonic irrigations? Oh, I'd, be, I'd do it for a laugh. <laughs> for a I laugh. Remember, remember, it was Richard Blackwood who did it on Channel Five. Why does Channel Five always get mentioned on this podcast? <laughs> I'm sure it was Richard Blackwood who had it done. I, I remember some famous person yeah, getting celebrity room, detox, but... and you you, you you can watch the shit going up the pipe. <laughs> Why are you watching oh. this? I think I it's like I, I... if I could have it paid for for me, I think I'd probably do it. But I think I don't want to spend my hard earned money on on it. I think. Oh well, I really want. I already do the fish one though, the fish feet thing. That looks great. Yeah, that does look quite relaxing. Mm, but well, like, with the chloric irrigation, what's the benefit of it other than having a clean shit pipe? I like, what's the point? <laughs> you've got like, you've got like poo on the inside of your bowels. It's been there like concrete for years and years and years. It's meant to make you feel like you're walking on air when you're done. You feel very, you feel very uh, free and bouncy as a, as all looking. I can guarantee nothing up there has been there for years. Actually, I eat. <laughs> Have you ever had an enema? Because that just does the same thing. Mm, I've not had an enema, but I've 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 had the the doctor now relax. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I um I had to have the the camera 
So I have to give myself an enema beforehand. That was fucking horrific. <laughs> but like you're watching, they're going on like with a camera up there, and you're watching on the TV screen as they're going through your bowels, and like you can feel it in your stomach. Are you under sedation, like or pain relief, or anything for this? They put um some like the gel that obviously it's fucking lubricated. <laughs> it's, um, it's got like anaesthetic properties to the gel, so you don't feel it. Oh, they like don't mix it up there. and put the one that where you blow on it, it tingles. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, you, I remember like getting like h- halfway around the fucking intestines and like, oh, there's Poo City. And yeah, they get quite far. And but, like, I didn't feel any better af- after having that done, even though I was clean as a whistle for most of it. Listen, listeners, we need a sponsor. And <laughs> this is the perfect place to start. Find us, find us a, a clinic irrigation sponsor, and we'll do um we'll do a bonus episode. Yeah, we'll live, <laughs> live streaming, <laughs> literally stream. <laughs> I've lost where I am. Did I ask you if you enjoyed the film, Matt? I think I did. Uh, basically, yes. It, that's where we got to it because it was like <laughs> like using cotton buds on your ears. I did enjoy it. Um, it, it wasn't fantastic by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I think it's it's been better for my life than it's been worse. Put it that mm, way. Yeah, like I didn't hate the film; it was perfectly fine. I wouldn't tell anyone to waste their time trying to seek it out. To be honest, I wouldn't re- recommend it. But if at the same time, if it was on Channel Five, as it's very much a Channel Five kind of film, and there was absolutely nothing else on to watch, I would say give it some of your time. Mm. And when you get bored, just turn it off because, like, there's bound to be something better eventually. Based on this film and this film alone, was Cage good or was Cage bad? Matt, you can start us off this time. <sighs> Gotta say no. I don't think he is, unfortunately. And mm. I, 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 I can't think of many good films, bad Cage, on that I've given as a score. This might even be the first. Um, he's not particularly, like like Stu says, he's very, very nondescript. He doesn't add anything to the role, doesn't take anything away yeah he's just he he exists he's there for he's there for a paycheck in football in terms he's a one-year mercenary Mm, yeah i've gone pretty much the same i've said that he was a bit one note it felt quite phoned in like this was a film almost prime for that cage on a wire craziness that we come to expect from the genre films that he does Mm -hmm. but this just felt like it was a paycheck movie for him so i've also gone for for bad stew what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I've already gone out. I've already said it, that it could have been anyone else. And mm. I think if it could be anyone else, then it's obviously... I mean, what you, what did you want him to do in this? Did you want him to just be just be boring, just be a teacher? But at that point, why, why cast Nicolas Cage? It doesn't really make any sense. Mm. So if it was found in, it did the job, but it wasn't exactly great. So... It's going to be fifty-one forty-nine now. Mm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think we've all come to the same conclusion that it was an okay-ish film, but a eh, little bit ungratified in the acting side of things. A bit like an enema. <laughs> <laughs> so I need you to finish the sentence. If you enjoyed seeking justice, you may also like. Stu, enemy of the state. Great choice. It just. I mean, I halfway through. Without even thinking of this in the back of my, I mean, maybe it's subconscious now that we're just kind of <laughs> symbiont beings on this podcast. <laughs> but I'll keep getting that. I mean, I haven't seen that for years. 
but the whole thing about being framed and the, the authorities being after you and that kind of thing, it really had that kind of vibe about it. And that was, from what I remember, a really good film, which is better mm. than this. So go and watch yeah. that instead. A solid eight out of ten, from what I remember. I wouldn't mind seeing it again because I don't think I've seen it for you know about ten years at least. But yeah, good choice that one. Matt, what about yourself? So, this for the first time, I think I'm going to mention a TV episode, the Shut Up and Dance episode of Black Mirror. Oh, I fucking love that show. So, not I, I can't give anything away about the episode, really, because it will it will give give the give the premise away. But it's essentially the same thing, an, an escalating um, series of tasks being given to somebody and being blackmailed into doing things that they wouldn't normally do um, with an absolute gut punch at the end a huge mm. gut punch at the end um netflix i think has it still um, it does, yeah. i urge you to watch it like with nearly all of black mirror there's obviously something seedy and horrible going on um and this is no exception it's a really really excellent episode fucking superb that episode yeah uh so i've gone i've also going to change it slightly and it's something that matt recommended i'm going to recommend a book and it's the court of owl saga uh, it's a batman series of books about a secret society that's run gotham from the shadows for hundreds of years it is one of the greatest ever batman stories told it's as good as anything you'll get from the golden or uh, silver era of comics it is absolutely superb and it's it's less than 10 years old there's not many modern stories that would be held to that high regard but yeah the court of el saga is incredible reading so that's my recommendation off the back of this and that's nick cage done for one more week if you've seen this film please get in contact let us know what you think drop us an email cagefightingpod at gmail.com or get us on the twitter at cagefightingpod uh, as you're listening to us now please make sure that you are subscribed and following us to make sure that you don't miss an episode of a question cast picture pod or uncaged uh, whilst you're subscribing, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review. I know we ask every time, but it, it does make a difference for us and we would appreciate it. So thank you for giving us your time once again this week. And Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourselves. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? The hungry rabbit jumps. It's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. There's nothing interesting in this film to make a close <laughs> <episode>. <laughs>